Hi, this is Shana Naomi Crockmall. I'm the digital director at Entertainment Weekly. I'm here in Austin at South by Southwest where I spoke to Kathy Griffin about her new film, Kathy Griffin, A Hell of a Story. That interview follows here as part of Best of Shows. Be warned, there's some explicit language ahead. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for coming. Welcome to Entertainment Weekly's Best of Shows podcast. Um, thank you to Kristen Baldwin and Darren Franish, who are the actual hosts of this podcast, for letting me crash while we're here at South By with Kathy Griffin. I'm happy to have the crasher. Here we are. Woo! Party crashers. Woo! So you are here with the world premiere of your new special, Hell of I a Story. I have a film. It's a concert tour film, and it's called Kathy Griffin, A Hell of a Story, and it's all about my Trump scandal. And um, it started out as a special that nobody would buy. It was a three-hour-long special. Can you imagine? I would. I started my tour during two hours, and then it ballooned to three hours. And nobody would even like look at the sizzle reel or talk to me or take my call. And by the way, I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records for having more televised stand-up comedy specials that I've written and produced than any comedian, male or female, living or dead. And so, wow. <laughs> I'm always trying to like great, you know, push the envelope in many ways, as you know. And so then it, it, I, I thought, you know, when I was a little kid, we would go see comedy in theaters. George Carlin, Richard Pryor. And so I said to my publicist, I go, do you think you could ever get into uh, film festivals if I added like some documentary footage? And so I hired a really great director named Troy Miller who does like everything from Arrested Development to Flight of the Concords to Julie Louis-Dreyfus getting the Mark Twain Prize and, or Kennedy Center Honor. And um, uh, which the humor one, I think it's Mark Twain. Mark Twain. All right, I'm like I'm gonna never get one, you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, so yeah, so it's we turned it into a movie, but there's also lots of extra footage, and I don't know one distributor. So if you're so a distributor, if anyone here knows what a distributor is, have them call me. What is since you are out here hustling? Yeah. I feel like as you have done so well during your career. Oh, I was walking right? up and down the street with. Um, I made a sandwich board of my poster because <laughs> I also entered the poster contest because I want to win something. And um, I, I got like this really um, fancy poster artist who's like won a bunch of awards named Kai Aarons to do a badass poster. So I was walking up and down the street with a, uh, my puppies and a sandwich board screaming, there's a screening tomorrow night at 8.30 at the Rollins Theater. And half the people were like, oh my God, she's a riot. And half the people were like, oh, she'll never learn. It was great. It's humbling. <laughs> it was humbling. Okay, but give me your elevator pitch for the distributor who's in this room or who oh, is right. listening to this okay. podcast. The beauty of this story is it? it's a story that is historic never in the history of the united states has a sitting united states president used the full power of the oval office the first family the right-wing media and more importantly two agencies within the, the department of justice to personally um take down a private citizen much less a 58 year old female comedian so when you hear about other comics that were arrested like the great lenny bruce or the great jane fonda who's not a comic but even they were arrested by local pd so my situation is historic because i was on, on the no-fly list for two months and I um, had to hire a very expensive First Amendment attorney. And the reason I want to bring the story to everybody is that I feel that this honestly could happen to any one of you. And you guys are seeing everything that's happening around you. There were more people arrested at Trump's inaugural for protesting than any inaugural in history, et cetera. And, you know, I had the money for a lawyer, like lucky me, but a lot of people don't. So it's really not a Hollywood story, but a lot of people don't know how far it went. So I was under investigation. I had no chance to, you know, have a phone call with the Secret Service and say, you know, I'm an outrageous comedian or whatever. They just immediately opened a file on me and um, I was uh, under investigation by the Secret Service and the U.S. Attorney's Office, meaning they were just ready to prosecute if the Secret Service found anything. So I lived under that specter for two months and then I went in and I was interrogated under oath and they were considering charging me with conspiracy to assassinate the President of the United States, which holds a lifetime sentence. So that has never happened. And luckily I was exonerated and I tell the whole story in the movie. And because of free speech, they actually, I asked him at the end of the interrogation, I said, may I tell, may I talk about this outside this room? And they said, yes. So read every word of that First Amendment because you need it every day. And um, I then was able to tour overseas, but the administration put me on the Interpol list, like a, a terrorist. So I was detained at every single airport. And another part about the movie that I want people to know, although hopefully the movie will make you laugh more than anything, is that there's a lot of mythology about what rights you have and don't. So I want everyone in this room to know they can take your phone and SIM card. 
They took mine at every airport. They take your passport, they take your phone, they take your SIM card, they leave you in a de detention room, they go off to an indeterminate time and place. I didn't miss any shows, but every time I was scared shitless. And, you know, I got detained when I returned to the States. And, um, you know, the right wing just comes at me regularly. And usually it's a member of the Trump family who will sort of blow a dog whistle by a tweet or mentioning me on, you know, Fox or something like that. And it just perpetuates and perpetuates. So, um, like a month ago, I got to go to Oxford and give a speech on the First Amendment. So big honor. Like I didn't even go to college. So um, that was a big honor. And yet my it was ironic. My driver from took me from Heathrow to the school. He said, um, I recognize you from that photo. And I, you know, I was kind of like waiting to see what his take was. And he says, um, I'm from Morocco. And if we were in Morocco, I would cut your tongue off right now. And it was like an hour drive. And you know, when you're a woman, you try to like deescalate. You don't want to be like, oh yeah, fucker, try it. Because I thought he, he will. And so, I, you know, another part of the story is um, because of the environment they're in, we're in now with this administration, as you know, journalism is under attack, First Amendment is under attack in every way. But also, um, they have a whole apparatus now with all the social media stuff where stuff can be manipulated. Like, I don't know where this guy got his news, but obviously it wasn't a newspaper or, or a legitimate news source. So another thing, um, sort of a cautionary tale to say, mm -hmm. you know, when you're in a situation that like mine, I'm Hanoi Jane, like that picture will be with me forever. But I look at someone like Jane and go, okay, how did she do it? She put one foot in front of the other and she kept doing her thing, kept doing what she was good at. So what I hope is relatable about the film is this is, you know, this could have happened to me when I was a bank teller or a waitress. You know, once you're singled out in this way, you have to just kind of figure your own way out of it. And, um, you know, I'm still trying to do that. I still don't have one single day of paid work ahead of me for the rest of my life. There's, there's know, a line in there. Scary where you talk about how Jim Carrey who called you and yes. said, you know, any comedian would give their arm to be in this position. You're going to get to make, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, get to make great work out of this. Do you think that's true? Do you, like, did you hear from other people like envy in this situation? No, or like, everybody no. else said, no. Sharon Stone goes, leave the country for eight years. I go, you first. <laughs> um, no, uh, most, I mean, most people ditch me just like straight up. My representatives, most of my friends, it was just too frightening for them. And, um, so when Jim Carrey called me, who I don't know him really very well, and so I was really honored that he tracked me down, and I needed someone of his gravitas to just tell me, like, is it over for me or not? And that's what I asked him. I was crying. I said, you know, I'm a big girl. I've been in the business a long time. Just let me know if it's over or not. And um, that's when he said, you know, you've had the worst president in the history of this country put his thumb on the shoulder of your entire life, not just your career. So he said, you know, process it and uh, take whatever time you need. And, you know, at the end of it, he did say any comedian would give their right arm for the story because it's unique and historic. And he said, but figure out a way to go tell it in a way that's funny and relatable. So two months later, I went on tour. But like when he, when you had that conversation, yeah. did you, were you like, you're crazy? There's no, I, I, mean, I don't feel. No, because I'm so hardwired to do that anyway. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is a scandal of another level. Like the feds mm -hmm. is a whole, is not a joke. But I've been in like what they call Hollywood trouble for a while and I've been blacklisted before and I've been, I'm like banned from almost every talk show and I've been banned from several and then they unban you if you have a successful you know TV mm -hmm. show or something like that so I know that like bullshit game so the one thing I've learned is um, you have to just be so good or effective at something that they can't say no so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, you know, do a tour that my tour grows $4.4 million. And I'd sold a, I sold out Carnegie Hall in less than 24 hours. And I still have every single TV network and streaming service saying, I'm not even going to watch that trailer. So that's what I'm up against now. So I feel like I've been able to win like real live human beings mm -hmm. over. And a lot more people have seen the disaster of this administration and how much the First Amendment is under attack. And the, you know, I mean, everything from young people, I didn't even know that there were like Nazi channels on YouTube and shit. Like I, I come from an era where, where all the Nazis were finally like dying off, like it was old farts. And now it's shocking to me that there's young people that go on Facebook or YouTube and believe the Holocaust didn't happen and shit like that so I wasn't prepared for that part but I had to learn all of it since my scandal I've had to learn who all the crazies are because I hear from all of them on a regular basis and some of them have the last name Trump one thing I want to ask you you talk about how you're why you apologized and I want to put that in a little bit of context but also I'm really hoping you'll do your Rosie O'Donnell impression again because oh, it's so good okay good uh, so 
morning after Rosie calls well, you, morning of. Yeah, more, the day of the photo went live. One thing I just want to say is I, I also am a big believer in own your mistakes and successes. So I do both. I'm very braggadocious about my successes because I don't like that women were always told, don't say how much money you have, don't say how much money you earn. That game is to make sure that the guy who signs your check, make sure that you don't talk to the guy next to you in the cubicle because he's going to be making more. And so I have made about $75 million over my career. I have a $10.5 million house that I bought cash because my friend Susie Orman, Susie Orman 2020, <laughs> just think about it. Um, she said, girlfriend, if you can't afford the house in cash, then you can't afford it. And I think more women should talk about that. And the reason I have a, I, I call it my fuck you house is because um, I have, I only have meetings with executives at my house now and they think that's very rude and audacious. But the idea is when they walk in my house, they go, oh, this fucking bitch made some money. And I'm an earner. I'm not the biggest star in the world. I never will be, but I'm an earner and I consistently make money for these companies and I've done Super Bowl ads and worked for every single network and all the people that won't talk to me were happy to take the 10% before the photo. So now I have to, you know, reprove myself. So the day the photo went live, um, Rosie O'Donnell calls me and she's the preeminent expert on being trolled by Trump. I mean, he's been after her for like 13 years. And um, she called me and what happened was the shooter who, who sent the picture out, I didn't know he was going to send it to fucking TMZ. All right. And by the way, that uh, shit fest of a blog is run by Harvey Levin, who's a gay Republican maggot. Get that. He's a log cabin, but he's also a huge Trump fan. So they speak on the phone twice a week and you can look it up in the Daily Beast because he finally confessed it and did an article in the Daily Beast. So that is where we are where the president is talking to Harvey Levin. And so um, I love that the AMI bastard flipped too, because you know, in my case, they also manipulated the photo and AMI was able to acquire probably through Saudi money, not just the Globe and the Inquirer, but also In Touch, Life and Style, OK Magazine. Unfortunately, publications that people in my industry think are like newspapers. So when they started printing stories that I had lupus or that I was bald, it made me unemployable and then uninsurable. So that's how deep they are going with me and they're not stopping. They have no, they have no desire to stop at all. So anyway, when the and Rosie knows this well that they don't stop. And so um, I, uh, the photographer said, "Hey, the the picture is live online and it's really taking off." And no kidding, I went to bed, back to bed. Like it was the morning. I was like, "Oh, okay, great," because I thought like. <laughs> But just so you know, we had taken a series of photos. And of course, the other photos we took that day that were totally benign never saw the light of day. But that one, you know, he sent it to TMZ like a fucking moron. Um, he also never gave me the copyright, which I thought was just kind of ungentlemanly because um, the picture changed my life. So anyway, it goes on TMZ. And then two, uh, a couple hours later, I get a call from Rosie O'Donnell. And I had just woken up. And she goes, Griffin O'Donnell. And that's <laughs> how she always addresses me. And I go, what's up, bro? And she goes, Griffin, you got to take that picture down. Everybody thinks you're an ISIS. And I go, oh, you're a riot. I hang up. Because I'm used to like comedians. We like give each other shit and stuff. And then she calls again. She's like, Griffin O'Donnell. And I go, what? And she's like, no, I'm serious. Turn on the news. People actually think you're an ISIS. And it's now getting network coverage. And I'm like, what? And so I turn on the news. And I learned that being breaking news um, is not always a good thing. And, um, you know, she said this thing to me that was really impactful. Because I, um, the veterans kind of, they uh, disassociated for me as well. But prior to the photo, I had gone and performed in Iraq and Afghanistan in war zones, Uzbekistan, Kuwait. You did a lot of USO work. A lot of stuff with the USO and even separately from the USO. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I had a, a good relationship there and it's just something I was happy to do. But um, she said to me something very impactful. She said, what if Daniel Pearl's mother saw this photo? And I said, well, I would hope she would know that it was a mask with ketchup on it. And so she said, well, that's what they're doing. They're making that connection. So... I, she goes, you got to do an apology. And I go, we don't apologize for jokes. And she's like, do it. You got to do it. So then I had, um, and I, you know, I go, I don't have any makeup on. And she goes, it'll look real. And it did. It's, you should look it up. It's a fucking tragedy. But anyway, oh, it's so embarrassing. And so then I had a horrible ex-publicist at the time, Cindy Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R. -E and she works at PMK. Anyway, um, she wasn't even my publicist. And here I am. My life is like just starting to crumble. Like the day, as the day went on, it crumbled more. And then she calls me. She's barking at me about how bad my video was and back to one and redo it with hair and makeup. And so that did not help. So the apology video went up and um you know then my comedian friends were calling me saying why did you apologize we're not supposed to apologize for jokes is there anything you'd ever apologized for before no that was the first time yeah and Are it was a mistake because honestly i mean this is even like an odd thing to say and i'm not making light of anything but i 
I don't know. I don't know what I would have done, but it, like writing a letter to Mrs. Pearl would have been smarter, mm-hmm. frankly, because when I say that was a narrow apology, it was a narrow apology. Mm-hmm. And people that were so offended by the photo, I've learned so much in the year and 10 months. Um, almost every, <clears throat> in fact, every single guy that I asked who would confront me and people confront me on the street all the time and stuff and tell me to go back to ISIS. And um, I laugh now. Um, but you know, I would say, you know, well, were you so disturbed by that photo? D- did you have experience um, like this in any way in the military? Every single guy goes, I'm not in the military, I, I, but I watch those uh, decapitation videos on YouTube and they're gross. And I'd be like, oh, go fuck yourself. If you're like a psycho that watches decapitation videos on YouTube, then you know, this is a different conversation. So Wait, I different kind a- of YouTube. Have you watched apologies on YouTube? No, you is familiar that a thing? with like the is that an apology? It's not a channel, but every YouTuber who gets in trouble for making That's some a very sort of racist big YouTube comment, or, yes, yes, and, and then they, they get it. more popular. Yeah, like then the they more apologize they, for yes. crying during their apology, and it wasn't good enough. Right. I feel like this could be a show for you. You could host a just, show of apologies. That's right. Apologies, and then I cry more the next day, and then I also <laughs> want to become fluid and bipolar. Excellent. Very trendy. Very You're going to have trendy. to apologize for that, too. So I, that'll work out well. It's going to give my career a boost. All right. I want to. I really respect how much you are willing to talk about money as a woman, oh, yeah. and I think, in this anything. business. So I'm curious, because so, so much of your success has been on television. But you say you've made $75 million in your career. Yeah. How, what was the bulk of that? Was that from touring? Was that from shows? You actually do make more from touring, but mm-hmm. I also have been working a lot on my business model. So one thing that I learned after the Trump thing is that my uh, promoter at the time was Live Nation, and they just did not know wh- what to do with me. And they said, you're not going to sell more than 500 tickets in any city in the world. And I so, so then I hired a marketing firm in Washington, D.C., because I could tell that um, Live Nation would put an like an ad for my show up to next to like Toby Keith and I was like that's not gonna move ticks it's a so, contrast yeah it's, it's a real they option. weren't getting it I was like yeah. I'm a totally different artist now I'm not the same girl that would only talk about the housewives like I'm now you know I'm on the no-fly list okay and so um so I started uh I changed my entire business model and by the end of the tour I was actually promoting my own shows so I made 30 percent more when I promoted my own show at the San Diego Civic than when I played Radio City music hall and so they all hate me like they call me and scream at me and it's i call them the old white dinosaurs because i think they don't like the audaciousness of a 58 year old woman no. wanting to still be in the game and also learning the game but what's I the best thing you it. learned like what's I your what's your art of the deal what do, what is your deal trick information mm-hmm. information and access to information so when you're at the mercy of a promoter or an agent or someone like that like in show business there's all these fakakta people that control parts of your business that you don't really need them to do so i have a genuine interest in business and I love it and I was just raised by a mom that taught me how to you know balance my checkbook when I was 10 and all this stuff and so um, you know I came from depression parents use it up wear it out make it do so I always have been a big saver Mm -hmm. and I always treat every gig like it is my last and so you know when I meet people that get their first big gig I've seen it over and over they go buy a Rolex or a Lambo and then they don't know in our industry and in many industries sometimes you get a break and then you don't get one for many many years and then the car is repoed so you know for example, you know, especially to women, I always say save your money because you want to save it for a rainy day. And I'm someone who's in the middle of a monsoon. (laughs) So, you know, luckily I did, but I also enjoyed like when I, when I was really browbeating Live Nation to give me more access, there's a thing called T1 Access that I didn't know existed. It's an app on their fucking phone. And the idea that they wouldn't give it to me, I mean, I've been doing stand-up for decades in every venue from the Sydney Opera House, which I sold out on this tour, to the London Palladium. I, I even just as like a fuck you, when I sold out Carnegie in less than 24 hours, I then booked myself at Radio City the night before, and I wired $250,000 rent right to the box office. And um, they all called freaking out, like, who do you think you are? what are you doing? I go, I'm a businesswoman. I'm renting the hall. Is my money different than anyone else's? Take the fucking money and let's sell some tickets. And so they actually held on to 1,700 tickets until two days before the show. In my humble opinion, I think they didn't want to give me the glory of saying I sold out Radio Mm. City and Carnegie. But what I learned is there's this thing called T1 Access and you can see the ticket sales in real time. So once I started taking over my own promotion, I I learned how to rent the theaters, how to buy the insurance, which theaters they can cancel, which theaters they can't. Like if there's a civically owned building, even if they got death threats, which I got, you know, prior and get to this day, they can't cancel. And by the way, I found out that most of the death threats that canceled the half of my tour were robocalls. 
I know. And I don't blame the theater owners. I get it. Like that would be a, they got a lot of frightening calls about how a lot of Trump supporters wanted to um, cut my head off, shoot me in the cunt, put my decapitated head up my cunt and shoot me in the cunt again. That was their assassination of choice over and over. That and is so, quite a robo call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they love it. They yeah. love doing it. And um, so when I started learning like, okay, I like getting in the weeds. So if you have an interest in something like that, it's just up to how much you want to learn about it. So honestly, I wasn't doing anything else besides touring. So I thought, all right, I'm, you know, blacklisted on television, where is really how I became known from anything from, you know, guest spots on Seinfeld and ER to, you know, Suddenly Susan to my life on the D-list to 23 specials to my Kathy talk show to, you know, guest appearances and all that stuff. So having a television base, I think is essential. And I just want to remind everyone, because I'm old timey, but it's true. Television is still the number one watched medium in the world. So please remember that when you're hearing from all these streaming services, which are great. I love them too, but don't write off television is dead because people have been telling me that for years it's very much alive you talked at the screening you did yesterday about how you could also imagine a version for this special where it becomes a television show that's my dream what, how I mean, would that tell me how that would work okay. would it be so longer have, would it would be different i mean well first of all one of them would have to take my fucking call so that's a hurdle i i don't know how i'm gonna get over i mean some of these fucking dinosaurs are pissed off because i wouldn't take a gig for less than a guy was paying 10 years ago so they're like still pissed off at me and another thing i'm big on is trying to make, I mean, you know, when I hear these women talk about 87 cents on the dollar, I'm like, where do I sign? I mean, I make a nickel on the dollar of my male counterparts and I got the hardware. Like I said, I got two Emmys and a Grammy. And so I have produced a lot of shows. I try to do as much stuff with gravitas to back it up. So I'm not going in there like some fucking yokel. Like, I think I can do this. Like, I'm happy to do the work and learn it. And I love to make people laugh and mm -hmm. it's innate in me, that desire. So when I made the special, I really just wanted to record it because I thought if nothing else, it's historic and after I kick the bucket I just want people to watch it and go okay they weren't able to take the crazy redhead down and it ended up being a three-hour special and then um, you know I thought okay well maybe HBO could buy it cut it up into three-hour specials and have the first two have like a cliffhanger ending right so that's one option or anybody could buy it for that um, also I took a bunch of like ghetto road footage all mm -hmm. over the world and some of it's like very real like a little too real like what no like tell gritty. me more like, like me sobbing on an airplane because I didn't want to get detained again like every time I got detained I'd get more scared and usually I'm not a scared person I'm not a shy flower obviously but <laughs> it is scary like when you're detained in Singapore where it's illegal to be gay you know, and you, it's illegal to chew gum and spit. I'm thinking, oh God, now they think I'm in fucking ISIS. You know, I'm gonna be in the Singapore airport detention for how, you know. So I would just, you know, be fearful. I also had many incidents at shows. I had a guy in, in Houston, you can see the footage online, uh, pull a knife on me. Um, I had many, many protests. And of, as you know, the, the cops, they protect the, pro the protesters more. And, um, you know, I had uh, like one of the QAnon freaks, he had a GoFundMe to send to one of my shows and try to disturb the show. So when I took over the shows and I personally hired the security and I can now I know how to hire the ushers and the concession and everything. Um, and I personally have a security meeting before every show so they can see me as a human and not just like, oh, you know, this is some like bitch who swears a lot. And the, every incident I had at shows, I have to say, were handled in under 30 seconds. Like I had um, a show in San Francisco of all places. And these two guys, I think this is so funny because I have a big gay following and I've been in the LGBTQIA2345 community advocate forever. And so um, I really think <laughs> it was Trumpers dressing in the worst drag you've ever seen. No. Like trying, to, oh my God, it was like a bad sketch from like a frat movie. And they brought one of those giant banner Trump Pence um, banners. And so about... 30 minutes into the show they went to the balcony and they dropped it and you know people I could hear like kind of a disturbance and I couldn't quite see it at first and once again they were out of there in 30 seconds so when I have my meetings I go this is a zero tolerance policy not like the kids in cages by the way what the fuck anyway so um that's one thing that's actually helped me is as Trump's policies are enacted a lot of people come up to me and they say you know I was really bothered by your photo but holy fuck we have brown people that we're putting in cages I'm like yeah yeah, he needs to be shamed, 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 shamed. And so, um, you know, that's kind of why I stand by the photo, even with all the fallout. But it is important to know what you're getting into, regardless of your field. And also try to think of sort of any kind of reaction you can have, like that helps. Like sometimes I can diffuse the situation with a joke. Sometimes like when I was in the car with the guy that wanted to cut my tongue off, I just filmed him. 
and I called the company was called Empire CLS and I called the vice president and he was super cool. And I said, I need proof that you fired this guy because if I read in a month in the London Times that some woman got her tongue cut out, I'm gonna feel horrible. So, you know, follow through on things let your voice be heard. And this guy really reacted well. I mean, he was clearly shocked and it's an unusual situation. So if I hadn't said anything and more people that don't say anything yeah. that, and people are more fearful now, you know that. So people are afraid to, comics are afraid to say Trump. People yeah. are afraid to say anything. Musicians are afraid to say anything about Trump, but you know, luckily you have me <laughs> fearless. I don't give a fuck. You um you bought you bought back your library. Yeah, right. That was a really powerful thing for me to do because so your specials, your I, show, I now D-list. own my life on the D list, all six seasons, two seasons of my Kathy talk show, and all twenty three of my specials. And what are you gonna do with them? You know, I really thought, like, I honestly was so naive. I thought Netflix is just gonna buy the bundle, mm-hmm. like this is a done deal, and it's in my contract that NBC Uni, and I had to pay a lot of money to get the property back. But I was like, you know, a lot of the, these guys in my business, they have ownership or part ownership, and I thought I'm. Not not just an actor for hire. I wrote every single word in any one of those specials. Oh, get this, this little tea. A lot of famous comedians that you all love don't even write their specials. Can you believe it? Yes, I know. They're like doing a monologue. All right, so I learned that the hard way. That was so, the first time I heard that, I was like, you're kidding. Why be a stand-up if you're not going to write your own shit? But anyway, I thought, well, I wrote it. I produced it. You know, my life on the D-list, I kind of did everything. I mean, I got my mom and dad to be in it, and they were like the runaway (laughs) stars. Um, And, you know, I was never given those opportunities. Like, at Bravo, they just didn't like me. And I, I think they thought I was too bossy and all the other cliches. But, you know, I look at, they give like Lisa Vanderpump a spinoff, right? And I was like, I wanted a spinoff my mom and dad season one because believe it or not they were still young enough to have their own show and I was like come on I can do this in my sleep it'll be cheap it'll be easy it'll be fun and it's just been no 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 and I guess it's because I'm a big mouth but the reason I say that is the proof is in the pudding I'll give you the analytics I'm an earner I can make you guys money I always have so that's the hurdle I'm fighting right now let's talk about D-list some more yeah what because I I feel like that show was ahead of its time I, it was like Aww. you were really ready to like this is the ridiculousness of this landscape yeah. of reality shows and i will be ridiculous and i yeah. will hustle and i will make that happen but looking back on it now what are your favorite episodes like if you were going to make a d-list special best oh, of the so d-list cool. well what's what i it? what i'm proud about with that show is it was really real like i don't even know if they would let me do a show that real now <laughs> like honestly because what ended the show was we did season six and then all the notes from new york were they started sending me these called liners and I was like what are these and they're like these are the jokes you'll say to set up a scene I'm like it's not a scene okay it's it's an unscripted show it's my actual life and so that's where we're kind of like um, bumping heads because it's much cheaper to do a show like the Kardashians which is a scripted show and you know even on the housewives you can see these women reading a teleprompter you can watch their eyes so these aren't even their own thoughts I have my own thoughts and so <laughs> I prefer to use my own thoughts and hopefully that's why the show was funny but um, I think the moments on the D-list that gave me personally the most joy Mm -hmm. were when I could bring joy to my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Like it was so like, there's an episode where I got to introduce my mom to Don Rickles and she talks about it to this day. And there, um, you know, was an episode where uh, I got um, um, Stephanie, from heart to heart, Stephanie Powers. Sorry, I'm old timey. So there was an actress (laughs) named Stephanie Powers and she was the shit. And she was on a show called Heart to Heart, which my parents were obsessed with. And so one time I got Stephanie Powers on the D-list to go to my parents' condo and try to teach them yoga. And my dad was like in love with her and my mom, you know, had all these, and they didn't do any yoga. They just gossiped. But I think those are my favorite moments. And also when celebrities would do stuff that we caught, mm-hmm. like there were so many moments where I got, got to capture celebrities being assholes. Who is on that show oh. who is like now the most unexpectedly famous, who actually... Uh, Ariana Grande right oh my god right so well so the first time I see Ariana Grande in her fame she's like remember me and I'm like yes that's what I would say yes miss you because we met at the thing all right so there's an episode in the d-list where I'm in a hotel and I actually get a fan letter and I read it it's from a 12 year old and so that was Ariana Grande so years later, I know, and I love her because she's the real deal. She doesn't lip sync. She really sings. She works her fucking ass off. I just loved her. She survived Manchester. Like, I just dig her. And I also love a gal that has a sense of humor. And there are very few at that level of fame. And so, like, we're like, not like, I don't have her phone number, but like, we're like Hollywood friends. Like, I just respect her tremendously. So that was really cool to have, like, her send me a letter. And I think I was like a bitch on the episode. Like, oh, some fucking kid is sending me a fan letter? Great. They can't 
sign a check, <laughs> God damn it. Like I was sure I was an asshole. But now it's okay because you know how to get a tattoo spelled in the right language with the right word. Is that what Ariana fans do? The no, gr- no. She, she got a tattoo and it was a mistranslation. Look, but I she was so funny about it. The she actually, that is the most food she had in a month. Let her lick that fucking donut. Yeah. All right. And by the way, we've all had a donut that somebody else at the office probably licked. <laughs> I worked in a bank. <laughs> what? Let's talk some more about TV. What yeah. are you watching right now? What shows okay. are you watching? So I am all over the place. Believe it or not, I there's I don't watch a lot of good comedy, and I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> only my, bad comedy. I do because okay. my act is like you can't make a joke about a show that's really funny like I loved 30 Rock but I wouldn't watch it for material I just thought it was a great show and so um I do what's great right now that you're enjoying okay so I watch all kinds of crazy shit like of course I love Mrs. Maisel because I was very close with Joan Rivers and I think it's the idea that who's the showrunner is it Genji Cohen who's the showrunner Mrs. Maisel uh no Amy Sherman Amy Sherman oh she was my growling student when I was what? a teacher, okay, I forgot. You taught okay, Amy so, Sherman. Yes, Paladino. so I was also a member of the Groundlings, which is like Second City, but it's in Los Angeles. And when I was in the main company as my day job, and it was the best day job I ever had. Um, I mean, anything was better than the bank. Where, let me tell you, if you couldn't balance by a nickel, you were there till fucking 10 at night. If you've ever worked in a bank, you gotta balance the drawer. Anyway, um, so I was a Groundling teacher and teaching improv was really, really fun. My students would make me laugh more than anything. And um, Amy Sherman was one of my students. And so it always makes me super super proud when like they go on to whatever writing or acting mm-hmm. or whatever and um so what do you think they get most right in Maisel and Mrs. Maisel I think what is I think what is, makes that show genius is knowing Joan as well as I knew her and knowing her history and her trials and tribulations because we would always talk shop and one thing that I loved about Joan and I think you'll find this with a lot of certainly female comics but females that have been in a male-dominated field for a long time so like I said I'm 58 I've seen everybody's dick Okay, I've been Me Too'd and Time's Up before there were clocks and articles. I mean, if I have to see Sandler's dick one more time or any of them, they all whip their dicks out like it was a real treat. You know, and when you're a girl comic, you're just like waiting it out like, huh, will I have a job Is this opportunity? like backstage in the... Everywhere, in every comedy festival, that I really want hanging details, out. Because when you're a, girl, a chick comic, you just have to roll with the guys. And that's because there aren't any other chicks around. So it would be like me, Garofalo, and Cho just going to the same parties all the time and trying to meet the same people and trying to audition and you know and bros before hoes they click up they stick together and women I have to say the dark side of feminism is we tend to fracture when the chips are down so one thing I hope we learn from this administration and from all the shit that's happening and with the dinosaur president that wants to roll back you know all human rights and certainly women's rights this is it ladies we, it's fucking you know united we stand divided we fall I don't want to fucking hear about Hillary versus Bernie or any of that shit okay let's just go with whoever's winning but anyway I'm hopefully a female anyway so uh so um you know uh uh wait what was I talking Maisel. about Maisel okay so I think what <laughs> sorry I mean of course I love the watch it's so it's so amazing to watch a, a girl and by the way I only knew that girl from House of Cards oh and if you're a guy don't fuck boys okay how'd it work out for Spacey yeah that's right he's like in hiding as he should be. All right, so anyway, um, I knew her from House of Cards, so I didn't even know mm-hmm. she was a comedic actress. So it was fascinating to watch her really emb- embody that character, and so many of the stories in there I knew were true because of talking to Joan. And I think the genius of that show is that Joan told me a story about one night she met Lady Bruce, but I thought, what a great concept mm. to go, what if there was a Joan Rivers, or let's even say Phyllis Diller type, who actually buddied up with Lenny Bruce and got arrested with him and he was the guy that knew how how to get you out of jail and that's what I think is the genius in the chemistry and you know I have lived the situation with the husband a million times you know no when you're a guy comic every girl wants to you know be with you and it's charming and sexy when you're a chick comic it's like guys don't want to fuck you okay they don't want to fuck the funny girl you know and so you know we don't do shit like that like we don't fuck guys in the audience that's what guy comics do and so so, you know, I've had many, all my relationships usually end the way she's struggling with the husband. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, you're the focal point. And I say, well, I was always like this, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just something that I mean, women in certain positions. dating a stand-up comedian. Yeah, I they, know. I know. they think they're getting? Well, I usually date guys that are younger because they tend not to be a sexist because they mm-hmm. weren't raised that way. But it's always a struggle. And then, you know, I'm trying to like boost up their masculinity, but I still want to be myself. And, you know, it's, it's just a struggle because we're still people. Like, I still want to be in love like anybody else and have somebody to love. 
And also, it's a we're you know we're gypsies, right? So it's uh, a very uh, transient lifestyle, as in many fields are. So I personally am sort of happier with a partner. So um, that's just my vibe. Some people aren't. Mm -hmm. So I I like that about the show too. They're honest about the gender politics that mm -hmm. come come along with. Like I say, I keep saying any field because I don't want you guys to think like oh whatever some rich Hollywood chick who lives in Bel Air next to Kim and Kanye. <laughs> Do you watch? Do the we Kardashians? take questions at some point? But we weren't going to, but we we could, should because I, I know you all want to know about Kim and Kanye. Yeah, tell tell next me next door neighbors. Do you watch the show, Kardashians? Yeah, uh, yeah. I watch it because here's what I think about the Kardashians. Don't turn on me. I'm now pro Kardashian because when you've had Trumpers for a year and ten months saying that they want to cut your cunt up, then you're like the Kardashians are just like stupid materialistic. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Given uh, on the scale, um, but also it was just like. It was, you know, I think the Kardashian show is accidentally real sometimes. Mm -hmm. And over the years, they've become so huge. And she's the most photographed woman in the world and all this other stuff. And she's actually really sweet. And the husband's just a fucking nut job. And I love that. Like, he is gone. And, um, or as she would say, not in his right mind. And I go, I didn't know you knew. She said that to me one time. She goes, he wasn't in his right mind. I go, you knew? <laughs> oh, my God, I love you. So, um, so that part, honestly, like, mm -hmm. it was the irony of going through my Trump situation right when I had moved next door to Kim and Kanye, honestly, it, it, I weaved it into the film because it's too fucking gold and hilarious that I'm next to supposedly controversial people and they're fucking afraid of being my neighbor because of my death threats. Like, she'd be like, um, like, could I literally come over? Or like, literally, is something going to kill me? And I'd be like, I don't know, I'll give it a week, you know? So... That was a fun juxtaposition, which, by the way, if I was doing an unscripted show, you know, I would have to be with a network <laughs> that would say, yes, we're going to figure out a way to get them on camera, too, because it's like, a, and it's really an essential part of the story. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly what brings the levity to the story. So I end up putting in a bunch of Kardashian stories because there were many times when I was down in the dumps. Oh, God, can I sound more like old timey? Um, I, have an, I have a mule team and I get ice from a man who chips a big block and the postman comes man. on a, a horse. And so, you know, um, you know, there were so many times during the whole Trump thing, and it still happens where you kind of look to anything for laughter. And I know everybody can understand that. So it's it's really taught me how essential it is. Laughter mm -hmm. is an elixir, whether you're making someone laugh or laughing yourself. And, you know, I just started looking for people that would laugh at my jokes. And I made this deal with Kim. You're going to shit. We didn't put this in the movie because we didn't have time. But um, one time she came over and um, I said, uh, we're, we're going to have to make a deal. And she goes, all right, why? And because um, she's obsessed with Elizabeth Taylor. And um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I said, Kim, I don't know if you know this, but Joan Rivers was really, really good friends with Elizabeth Taylor. And they were very, very close. And she goes, literally? I go, yes. And that's all she <laughs> says, literally? And, um, and I said, they had a deal. And Joan told me this was the deal, and I believe it. And I said, we're going to have that same deal. And she goes, what? And that was so funny. She goes, oh, my God, I love Joan Rivers. And in my head, all I could think of was that joke Joan would do about, like, oh, Kim Kardashian, gorgeous, <laughs> but who's going to shave her back? You know, I didn't say that. I didn't say that, but I may have been thinking it. So I said, here's the deal. I said, um, you're going to let me call you and your family dirty whores for the next 10 years. And whenever you're having a moment where you're down or anything like you need a laugh, you just call me and I will give you a free concert. And that's our deal. I went over there two times. She was feeling kind of sad. I sat on the chaise lounge and made her laugh. And then she kicked me out. And I said, good deal. We shook on it. What, what, she th what does Kim think is funny? Um, What's her... What, you, you, what joke did you tell? She she likes like like juicy celebrity gossip. Yeah, because she knows everybody. Yeah, so I can go and talk to her about you know any like run in I've had. And the funny thing is like I'll have some story about like Gwyneth Paltrow like looking at me and just going <gasps> and turning, and she'll be like, Oh my god, I just had lunch with her. She's so sweet. I'm like, Well. <laughs> to you you know so she like laugh at that you know and so she's she's actually a pretty good laugher do you watch the news uh, can you I watch do. the news i'm I got, i'm a news junkie i also what? i read wapo new york times la times politico mother jones slate i was i think it was when you were talking to kara swisher this week you yeah. talked about how you had watched the watergate hearings yes i was what? a freaky kid i was glued to those watergate hearings i had a crush on john dean i finally got to meet him one day and i said i was always <laughs> mad at your wife maureen he was like who are you like he's like we've been long divorced and i go she had that straight hair and i've always felt like you never fell in love with me because i have curly hair and he goes well she used to blow it out i said all right and that was it. And then I invited him over for lunch, and he said, no, shocker. Um, 
but I'll do that. I'll just invite luminaries over for lunch and sometimes they come and then you really get to know them. But I was obsessed by the Watergate hearings because my whole family was political. Like my dad was a precinct captain. Now in these days, Chicago was on the take. Like I grew up in Richard Daly, Chicago, where it was like super racist and I had a horrible racist uncle cop who was literally a bag man. Like he was a bag man, shamelessly so, right? So that's why I have to say this, this current wave of racism honestly surprises me because I grew up with it and then I watched, um, like, I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I'm from Chicago and there was a Nazi march in Skokie mm-hmm. a couple decades ago. And it was the story of Chicago for years. And everyone showed up and protested. There were no incidents. And those Nazis never, never had the nerve to come back to Skokie or anywhere in Chicago. Now they're in fucking Charlottesville and they're 20. Are you kidding me? So that's one of the things that, you know, I, if I can think of a way to bring it up in my act, I do because it's part of the zeitgeist. And a lot of people don't read the news and they think Facebook is news or Twitter is news. So here's my bit. So do you guys remember the crying Nazi from Charlottesville? Okay, so one of the Nazis went to jail because he, you know, was a Nazi. And um, he didn't have bail money, so he had to stay in jail for like three days. And he makes this video and he puts it online and he gives out his fucking phone number like, I need bail. So he became the crying Nazi. So I call him, I go, what's up, fucker? It's Kathy Griffin, bitch. How you like me now, fucker? And I hang up. And then later I'm thinking, maybe I shouldn't have said my name. Because <laughs> now he's out. Now he's out. And he's got like a whole bunch of other Nazis. But I couldn't so of all the people who are probably running for president or running for president, not you can talk about who you want to vote for. But what I'm yeah. wondering is, who do you think is funniest? And do you think they have to be like, how much does that late show appearance matter? It matters too much. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. honestly, I liked it when I didn't even know what religion the president was. Like, I remember my mom and dad talking about what a big deal it was when Al Smith ran and lost because he was a Catholic, allegedly, and JFK being a Catholic and all that stuff. But I was a little too young for that part. But I remember they're talking about it. But I, I really um, think it's a shame. Like, of course, the turning point was probably Bill Clinton going on Arsenio Mm -hmm. and look I say this about Bill Clinton you know not a great husband but fucking balanced the budget and was a great president so I'm a Clinton apologist and Hillary I just think on the moon so there you go um so uh I think like which of the late current night- crop do you think is going to be well be able you to know it's interesting because that. I don't like that it becomes about the cult of personality I lived through the fucking Gray Davis recall and we got the fucking Terminator who put us into debt because think people thought it would be fun to have Schwarzenegger as governor who doesn't know how to govern anything much less his pants all right and Gray Davis was like a boring legislator who did a good job so anyway um I think as far as the late night appearances, unfortunately, I think they're going to become more and more important. But I think Beto O'Rourke has a ton of charisma, obviously. And I think he'll do very well on that circuit. Um, I think do you have advice for any of them? How, like, how do you prepare to do an appearance like that? That's short, live. You have to be funny. It does it's take all preparation. Sort of prepped. You've like, already kind of yeah, gone and I don't the know if you know, but talk shows they have segment producers, so it's all very pre-planned. Like one of the reasons I'm banned from a lot of talk shows is if I go off the script, like John Stewart. I was on Daily Show one time, and he had this list of questions, and I strayed from it, and that's it. I was never on the Daily Show again. I was never on Colbert, and the Whisper campaign started, and I was banned from Comedy Central. Like that's all it takes, ladies. That's all it takes. And so, and yet, improvisation is what made me famous if I may use that word or infamous and so I would say if you're an elected I think it's okay when they're serious like Mm -hmm. I would choose the shows like Colbert where you can have a serious discussion because he's a bright guy and I would be uh, you know, I think when you're going to go into a show like The View, which is just a fucking Michael Vick dogfight, you have to go in there knowing the four personalities and knowing how to address them. And I would also advise that they watch the shows, maybe the two shows previously. Because mm-hmm. sometimes a lot of these hosts or these shows with group hosts, they're in a little bit of like a mood, like maybe a show will be one way on a Monday and they'll kind of carry the theme or the mood on for the week. So it's That's all really about doing advice. having your staff do the homework. I mean, I do it myself, but yeah. having your staff do the homework is essential. And I I would also tell them don't be afraid to be serious it's quite refreshing if you're watching even like Fallon or something because Jimmy Fallon will have them all on um, but Jimmy Kimmel has gotten more political because mm-hmm. of his kid and he took on health care so now it's great Jimmy is someone kind of like me who started out just telling fluffy jokes and then it touched his life in a way that he kind of turned a little political he also gets a lot of online beatdown, which is a shame because he's a very hard worker and a very nice guy so I would I would say don't be afraid to be serious I think Elizabeth Warren is very effective at that mm-hmm. I think she goes on shows and no matter what they throw her she laughs shows she has a great sense of humor i love booker booker has a great sense of humor and let me just say for what it's worth i've had many many fundraisers prior to my new life at my home and um 
the only elected who to this day checked in on me and will still talk to me as Booker. And so he takes a lot of heat. I don't really know why. My own experience with him is he's an awesome guy. He's unbelievably bright. He's really like in touch with things. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't know that to me, that showed integrity, mm -hmm. like straight up electives that were much more famous being like, oh no, 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 I can't be near you. And him being like, how are you holding up? Are you okay? You know, we had lunch one time. So that's an important quality that I hope he's able to translate because mm -hmm. that's the kind of president you want. You want someone who's there for you and has their feet planted on the ground or Kamala Harris. This is good too. Also good. Um, yeah, and I think she'll do well on talk shows. She's a little stiff. I saw her do a panel one time, and I remember thinking, okay, she's going to have to loosen up a little bit because she was the AG. Mm -hmm. So she's got that. So the good news is, people that are that smart, they're usually able to make that transformation successfully. They can relax and figure out yeah, how to Yeah, it's funny. Trump who doesn't know how to do yeah. it. Like he's such an idiot, he can't even answer a single question. So watching one Trump interview is you've seen them all. We didn't talk about today's news yet. Oh my God, I'm so, so excited. Today. What about the Varsity Blues? Holy fuck balls. Okay, get this shit. So Felicity <laughs> Huffman and Lori Loughlin are in custody for federal crimes. Get this shit. So it turns out they're part of a giant FBI sting. And I'm, by the way, very pro-FBI. They fucking saved my life, and I'm not kidding. Yeah, you and know so, a little bit about what to prepare for if you think the feds are coming to your house. Yes, well, I, um, the... Should you came, have had this conversation with Felicity before today? Uh, I didn't think <laughs> Felicity was that kind of girl. I've known her for a long time, and I've known Lori for a long time, and I had no idea they were doing this. But I don't know if it's a thing here but in LA it's a very big thing about rich not so bright people being obsessed with what schools their dumb kids get into and all these kids are like gifted like when I first heard about them like what well, yeah I've known these girls forever and they were like in that fucking school of like our kids are gifted I'm like really they just took a shit in their diaper there's your gift and so you know when I was a kid nobody was gifted you either got an A or B a C or a D or an F and so I think it's part of that same like uh, I guess I call it sort of a virus, you know what I mean? Like my guess is, uh, you know, one of one of the kids is like Insta famous. So she had to take down a video. It was uh, Lori and Moss's kid because Lori uh, married that guy Massimo, the designer. So they're like just burning money. And so um, the kid is so stupid that she's a uh, fucking Insta famous. And she did a video going, you guys, my parents are making me go to college, but I just want to go like for the parties. And I'll probably miss a bunch of days. Well, that doesn't look so good now. And also this is a federal offense, a federal felony because they cross state lines. So apparently the deal is they found a couple uh, people in different states that had some scam where if you donated to a certain charity or just straight up a secret way to donate to the school, and the kids were so stupid and inept that one of them had to Photoshop their daughter on the crew team because the, right? Like, so they'd find like an elite school that just maybe didn't have the best female crew team. And so, you know, those schools are more likely to maybe make a little slot available if they really want a crew team. And so that is hilarious. So there was like, a, it might've been um, Lori Moss's kid where her pictures Photoshopped on the crew team with hopefully a bunch of sturdy lesbians because let's cut the shit. And, uh, and, and she's never even been in a fucking canoe, right? So I don't even know where they thought this was going to end. But it, so anyway, 50 people have been indicted and CEOs and shit. So I want names, wait, names, wait. names. I have kind of a serious question for you. When what? you see something like this happen to yeah. another celebrity, especially someone who you know, yeah. is your first instinct what's the joke or is it oh god it might be like i know what it was like to be in that moment where no, it's what's things the joke. <laughs> and i know fair. them and even though i know them but it's you know it's all fair game like that's why i've lost a lot of celebrity friends is i love when these celebrities are like don't put this in the act and they tell me something fucking wild right fucking wild like fonda one time she i go did you ever fuck brando and she goes eh, he was too fat to fuck and I go, that's fucking hilarious. And she's like, show. don't put it in the in act. The I go, too late. And so uh, <laughs> we made up. It took a while, but we made up. Is there any celebrity whose secret you have kept? Yes, I've actually kept several secrets. Now, here's the deal. <laughs> Just I'm actually, several total. I'm actually like, a really good like, like Storm, When Stormy told me, I, I'm friends with Stormy Daniels now. We're having dinner Monday. When Stormy, when I first met her, she came to my show at the Schubert in Boston. And that was a major security issue. We had to sneak her in. And it was this whole thing. I was very, I'm very fearful for her safety because she's really... Under Are a you lot more of scared for hers than for your own? Yeah, absolutely. She's working the pole, honey. She's doing doubles in Raleigh Durham. And she's working gentlemen's She clubs. can't afford to hire her own. That's right. Team. Because she's burned through any money she had, and the loser husband just ditched her, and she's a single mom, and the whole thing. And she's really funny and really clever. She also has her own production companies, and she directs one porn a month. And that's really what she wants to, you know, morph into. But she's you know capturing this moment which is great but anyway she you're doing a great job of pitching stormy daniels so i hope stormy is out i there wanted pitching to do new year's you. eve with kathy griffin and stormy daniels and nobody would buy it 
I pitched it to everybody. I couldn't believe nobody would buy that. I thought, I don't care how much you think I'm an ISIS. That's fucking funny. And I wanted to do it at the Hey Adams in DC. Maybe you could do commentary if there is like impeachment hearings. Maybe the two of you could do. Oh my God, that would be heaven. Color commentary, like um, Johnny Weir and um, who's Carol Pinsky? Yes, yes. I think this. I feel like we're zeroing in on what your pitch could be. This is. We need what the kids call seed money. Would you do a college tour? Oh, I'd love to do a college tour, but I will tell you this, not stand up, and I'll tell you why. College audiences have, has, have gotten so extra sensitive that I'm so fucking vulgar and inappropriate, and I say horrible words, that I get it, like, I played Hofstra recently, and they were like, <gasps> like, I got more gasps, but what I would love to do is I would love to do a college speaking tour about my experience and the stuff I've learned, and, you know, especially about social media manipulation, and it's okay to go on to NewYorkTimes.com and read actual news and see the difference and stuff like that, but I really want a lot of young people to hear my story and know what it's like to have a wall of shit fall on you and how you can dig yourself out of it. Because let me tell you, nobody came to my rescue to this day. To this day, there's, I mean, people make fun of Michael Avenatti, but man, I would have killed to have some lawyer on cable news every day saying, like her or not, this shouldn't be happening in this country. So people like that, I mean, he's like a little shady, but you know, he did some good work for a long time and we got to take that for what it is. And next time we'll find a guy who's not maybe quite so much of a hothead, but that kind of message. And we also need to take a note from their playbook, which is our message is true. Theirs is a lie, right? There's no fucking caravan, but they beat it like a dead horse. So we have to take our positive messages. For example, the tax scam, the tax bill. Um, Trump voters themselves are saying, oh, my refund was less this year. We got to beat that drum over and over and over. And that's, you know, we tend to get, like I said, we get in the weeds, we get analytical, we want to debate things. And I think just for a while, we have to be like, five points dumbasses like have five things <laughs> that we just repeat and repeat and repeat until we brainwash people into sense thank you thank I you have, thank you all i have one last question for you yes one more and then we're gonna be done which is you are still on twitter when so many women in hollywood especially like actresses people who are running shows writers are not yeah what is your very short succinct one how do you survive twitter um well it's a cesspool and i have a double life so my life online is just people telling me every day i'm ugly and bright of chucky pictures and you know all this other stuff and i'm over and all this other stuff and so i had to learn that it's robots primarily it's people too but it's mostly robots and i was on that list really early so i kind of survive it because it started so rapidly and in such a grand fashion with my photo and my photo was pre me too pre weinstein i'm not sure if it would have been so offensive frankly mm -hmm. knowing the stuff we kind of openly talk about but um i use social media because i have to it is the only promotional platform i have i would love to have a steady television presence again i think that moves mountains it move, then gives me opportunity to tour bigger venues and i also like i said i really want to do a speaking tour so if i ever do that my social media will be important and i really kicked, kicked up my social media presence this year and was uh, i you know i took all like classes in it and I called friends that were good at it. And I thought, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it in a way that's effective. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Kathy.